you guys. How are y'all doing? So I'm Katie Goody, like Jordan said. Um, and <laughs> I love the energy in the room. This is amazing. I'm super grateful and excited to be here. Last week, did y'all enjoy the two days off, right? Two days off? Um, I can tell y'all that I enjoyed it. I love the snow. I know I'm from Texas. I'm weird, and it's beautiful to me, and it's perfect, and it's so much fun. And I was really sad to see it go, although it was really nice and warm the last couple days. I'll take it. Um, but I will say, for those of y'all who don't know me very well, you're probably like, who is this girl? I've never seen her before. Um, I am typically in the back with a small child. She's one years old. Her name's Zoe. And, um, well, 13 months and about one. And uh, <laughs> um, I lead the girls' resource, so I get to see the girls a little more than the guys. And um, I have a music education degree from St. Houston State University. I love music, sports, reading. Um, won't say too much more because some of y'all know me really well, and you're like, come on, Katie. Okay. But, um, but I will say that one thing that's super cool is um, it's been a huge blessing, y'all, to get to work with Jordan in ministry, um, getting to just um, live life together and, and love the Lord and serve him together has been a really, really cool thing to do. And so I'm really honored to be up here tonight. And um, last week was um, when I was supposed to preach, and then we canceled Kalfa. And so um, I know some of y'all were sad we didn't get to worship together. And I am really excited that tonight we're all back together. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get into the word. Um, Father God, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your grace and patience with each of us, Lord God. You whisper, you whisper to us every day. You speak to us in our hearts and in our minds. So Father God, help us to listen to you tonight. Jesus, give us your, your peace and your presence as you stir um, things in our hearts that we don't want to be stirred. Help us to um, be willing to listen to you, Lord God. Father, as you speak to us all individually, help us to remember the value that we have. And as we um, go throughout tonight, Lord Jesus, I just ask that my words are your words, my thoughts are your thoughts, and that um, nothing that I say would be um, apart from what you want. So Jesus, please be with each of us tonight, and um, we just ask that you bless the reading and the hearing of the word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Super cool. So we're going to look at John 4, 5 through 23. Again, that's John 4, 5 through 23. And if you've never seen one of these, these are this is a Bible. And some of y'all really like iPhones. I do too, confession. Um, and actually, it's really cool. On my iPhone app, I get to... Um, I get to listen to it, which is really nice when you have one world running around because we listen to it during breakfast sometimes or all sorts of moments in the day. Some things I just won't tell you about. But um, before we get into this, last we've, we've been doing a series actually on people who encountered Jesus. If you ever want to go back and listen to a sermon, um, we actually have them on podcast, thanks to the Foundry Church. And so you can just search WVU Chi Alpha. And go back and listen to any of the sermons that Jordan, Charles, Christopher, Katie, and myself have preached. Um, Sean as well. So um, we're going to look at the Samaritan woman, which I was thinking about this, and I was like, 
when people have typically preached on her, she's either the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And I was like, I think she deserves a name. So we're going to call her Samantha tonight. And I was kind of hoping that there would be a Samantha in the room. Is that, uh, yeah, this, yes, Sam's here. Okay, so <laughs> periodically I'm going to say Samantha, and she's probably going to be like, what? But um, we're going to look at John 4, 5 through 23. Heather, if you could flip through the scriptures I read it, that would be awesome. <coughs> so he, Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was the afternoon. A woman of Samaria, Samantha, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you truly spoke. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is some good stuff. Now, there's so many truths in this, but we only have a little bit of time And I don't want your brains to be hurting when we leave. So we're going to plot two truths. But if you are ever interested in studying more, there's a really awesome book by G. Campbell Morgan. And it's called The Great Physician. And I can say it because we only have one more week of this. And Charles is preaching next week. What are you preaching on, Charles? Oh, he doesn't know. (laughs) He's lying. (laughs) Anyways, but don't look up whatever it is he's preaching on. But um, you can read the rest of the book. It's called The Great Physician, and um, they're people that encountered Jesus. So <coughs> just kidding. Um, we want to picture this scene. Um, some of us think of a man in a robe, justifiably so. He has dark hair. He's tired. He's about 30, and he sits by this well. Okay. Now, um, he's by himself. And um, this woman walks up, Sam, Samantha, 
She walks up and she's dressed modestly or not so modestly. She's had five husbands and she comes in the afternoon and she gets there with this big jug of this big jug and there's no water in it yet, but she's this well is on the outside of town and so she's come to draw water in the middle of the day. And if you think about that, that doesn't really make sense. You don't go out in a hundred degree heat to get water. Instead you would go in the morning or the evening. But I have a feeling she was avoiding some of the other women of the town who went in the morning or the evening, the cooler parts of the day. And I think she did that because she might have left one of their brothers or friends when she went to marry the next guy. So she might have some enemies. And so she comes there and she's by herself. Whatever the reason is, she's alone. And so is Jesus. And she probably walks up and she avoids eye contact with him because she expects him to avoid eye contact with her. It's said in scripture, right, that the Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. So she walks up, and he asks her for a drink. (laughs) And she's like, what? And he looks straight at her and says, give me a drink. Now pause. When I go to Kroger or restaurants or whatever, I like to look at the cashiers, and I like to look at the waitresses and ask them how they're doing. And... (laughs) Sometimes they're surprised. <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, hi. And um, they're like, oh, and the typical answer I get is waiting to get off work or I'm making it. But I think that if Jesus had asked Samantha that, I think she would have responded the same way. But he's too smart for that. He's a lot smarter than me. And he says, give me a drink. And immediately distinguishes himself different than any other Jews or men that she's ever met. And what's so cool about this is that with one question, with one statement, and then follows it with a question. Wait, sorry. Flip that. He says, give me a drink. He's requesting water. Then he tells her that he's living water. That's a huge deal. So with one question and one statement, Jesus moves Sam from a skeptic to a searcher of truth. What do I mean by that? A skeptic is a person inclined to question or doubt all accepted opinions, or a cynic. And if she's been, if she's had five husbands, and she's with a man that she now is not married to, you might get kind of cynical <laughs> at that point in your life. And so, a searcher is someone who asks questions not merely because they're trying to disprove something, but instead to search out truth. It's a big deal. And so, what does she do? How does she respond? Oops, sorry. Um, She says, where do you get this living water? She asks a question. He sparked her interest. What Jesus has done in this moment, y'all, is amazing. He has sparked the deep spiritual hunger that she felt for years, but probably has quenched it. She's probably made it quiet and dormant. Point one, Jesus offers living water, and by doing so, he sparks the curiosity that is buried deep within her. Each of us have a spiritual hunger. Each of us do. And if you've been hurt, then I don't blame you. You probably say, no, I'm good, or um, that's for other people, or um, "That's, that's interesting, but that's for somebody else. Um, I think about, for years, I didn't really think 
um, I just kind of took things at face value. And I'm going to bring out this book later, but this book is called How to Be Your Own Selfish Pig. <laughs> and it's not really about how to be your own selfish pig, but, um, but it's, it's a book to get you thinking. For me, it was to get me thinking. If you already like thinking, then you should read it because you'd really love it. <coughs> In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Right? She's searching for truth now. She's asking questions. Now, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Truth. Truth. When I think about the word truth, it makes me think about right and wrong, a moral law. What are you thirsty for? What are you hungry for spiritually? It's really cool because she at first thinks about physical water. She says, you know, um, how are you going to get this if you don't have a jug? And he goes on and he says, this is a, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. She makes it, he makes it clear. He's not talking about physical water. Though it is 70% of your body and it's really important, <laughs> Jesus says what I'm talking about is a water that will quench your soul. And so here's what's really cool, y'all. When we think about something quenching, quenching that, that thirst in our soul, um, we have to realize that it does bring up a moral law. Now, what do I say when I... What do I mean when I say that? Um, especially in today's society, to say something is right or wrong is very taboo. People don't want to say this is right or this is wrong. Um, but I want to make us think about a couple things regarding the moral law before we go any further. Because when we talk about this life that Jesus offers, it comes at a cost to us. We'll get back to that. But I said, I have a daughter who's one, right? So let's take her for example. If... Um, she's, she's very tall, she's very cute, and um, she's very mixed, so, um, <laughs> and she's very stubborn, and we recently got a gate, because we have stairs, and so we put a gate at the bottom, so she can't go up. What if tomorrow, or the next day, I decided, I said, oh, she's really tall, and she's really smart, and, you know, I think, I think she can go up the stairs today, you know, by herself, I'm just going to leave the gate open. Now what's going to happen? So he's going to climb up the stairs, and she's going to fall. She's going to fall back. She's either going to hit her head, she's going to break a bone, or who knows, possibly even die. Now the law of gravity says that if you drop something, it will fall. Now me as a parent, I can't change that law. It's there. <laughs> I can't make Zoe fly. <laughs> I, I, can't, um, I can't catch her if I'm in another room. So for me as a parent, what I have to do is I have to think, with the reality of this law, what can I do? Now, I feel like I'm talking in circles. 
Zoe's reaction to me closing the gate, her getting mad, her throwing things, her trying to bite me, that doesn't change the fact that I am helping to save her life by closing that gate. The law causes me to react to save her life. So when we think about Jesus and we think about what he's offering to us in life, we have to realize that the moral law is there to close the gate, to help us, because the reality is there is a right or wrong. Now, if you're still disagreeing with me, I challenge you to stand next to me while I'm holding a hot tea kettle with hot water in it, and I will pour it on your head. I have a feeling you might oppose me and say, you're being cruel or you're being evil. And I'll be like, I thought you didn't believe in that. (laughs) But (laughs) you might have a problem with that. (laughs) So think about it. (laughs) Think about it reality. The reality is you don't want to be hit by by hot water. You don't want to be hurt. And so, oh, I can't swipe that. Um, And so John Scott says, there is a hunger in the heart of man which none but God can satisfy, a vacuum which only God can fill. So what I am saying is, this moral law tells us there's a good and there's an evil. And what I'm saying is that that soft spot in your heart, that aching, that quenching is there. And the person who's supposed to fill it is God, the person of Jesus. Let's go back to our woman, Samantha. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Um, She says, in response to that, she says, I have no husband. (laughs) Basically, it's none of your business. So back to the moral law. Jesus, he knew already, the Holy Spirit told him, that she had had five, five husbands when she walked up. But when she walked up, he didn't start the conversation with, I know what you did last night. (laughs) What he did instead was he sparked a curiosity. He dug up that spiritual hunger, and then he nurtured it. And then what he said was he did address it. And what we have to realize is when Jesus puts his finger on something in our heart and in our life, it is not to catch us, but it is exactly what I said with the gate. Jesus is closing that gate, and he is putting safety and parameters around our lives. Now, we're just as stubborn as Zoe, right? We might kick him, we might bite him, we might get angry at him. But what he is doing is he is protecting our lives. So we come to point two. There's only two points, (laughs) y'all. But uh, (laughs) Jesus came to reconcile all people to God. Now, all people. Okay, this is a big, big deal. I grew up and... um, I grew up in the church, and I want to, I guess, disprove something. Some of us believe that um, we don't need a Savior, and um, we believe that our parents are Christians, so that makes us a Christian, or we believe that by good works we're saved, and Jesus came to reconcile. He came to save the self-righteous and the guilty. So I'm going to speak from the perspective of self-righteous. When I grew up, I went to church every week, very faithful. I did a lot of good things. I never drank. I never smoked. I never got got drunk. And when I got to college, um, I had a small group leader named Monica. She loves, loves, loves the Lord. I love her. And she had only been a Christian for 10 months. 
And I remember going to her small group every week and, and realizing how much more knowledge I knew about the Bible than her. And I remember judging her and thinking, you're not good enough to be a small group leader. Thankfully, I never told her this. But I thought it in my heart. And this evil in my heart, y'all, though it wasn't outward, it was very much there. And so what happened was, as I went to Kyle services, as I went to small group, the Lord graciously showed me my pride and said, Katie, you have, you have a Savior, but it's not me. You have a Savior, and it's your works. And thankfully, Monica graciously discipled me for two years and then sent me through LTC, and she had so much to offer me, y'all. She had such a passion for the Lord, and I learned so much from her. I'm so grateful for her. And so what Jesus was showing me in those two years was, Katie, your works do not save you. I save you. And so it's a really big deal, y'all, to realize um, that religion without relationship either makes you self-righteous or guilty because what it does is it puts rules around you, but you're not looking at the person of Jesus. That makes sense? When I look at Sam right now, I'm not thinking about all these other things. I'm looking at her. Does that make sense? We are looking at Jesus. We are looking at the person of Jesus. We don't think about the rules. We don't think about, and rules without relationship lead to rebellion. That's terrible. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. We don't want that either. <laughs> so, um, but let's, let's go ahead and flip on the other side. The guilty, okay? Sammy's guilty, right? Because guess what? She's had five husbands and she's living with another man, okay? So let's face it. She's, she's the guilty, um, which is really funny. I was thinking about this as I, I recorded myself practicing the sermon, and I thought about how I said the word guilty, and I was like, I should say self-righteous the same way <laughs> because you're just as guilty, right? It's the same. And so, and so when you think about Sammy, um, she was also Samaritan, which were, they were considered like half-breeds, and so they were looked down on. And so the Jews um, that come up to Jesus and find her talking to him, uh, vice versa, him talking to her, they realize that um, they're really surprised. And then they're not even, they're not just surprised that he's talking to her, but they're also surprised that he's, he's sharing deep spiritual truths with her. He's talking about, he's talking about, um, he's talking about living water, being living water. And then he goes on to talk about worship. And, um, it's really cool because these Jews, these disciples, realized something, that Jesus came to reconcile all people to Christ, right? All people to himself. Um, this is for believers in the room, including myself. You can serve Jesus all the while worshiping yourself, okay? It goes on. Who are you worshiping? It goes on in John 4, and it's talking about how Remember, she asked the question about where does worship happen? And just before that, she says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then, he, and then she says, our, further, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 23 says, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in, in spirit and truth. So basically what Jesus is saying is it doesn't so much matter where you worship. Oh, sorry, there it is. But a great question to ask yourself is, why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? So we could worship. We could worship outside. We could have a worship service outside. We could have a worship service inside. We could have a worship service in a barn. Some people do. Um, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is who and why you're worshiping. Does that make sense? Um, there's, I guess, two or three things, um, left that I have to say, and, um, I guess, Katie, you can go ahead and make yourself your way up, but, um, I'm really grateful, y'all, because, um, this passage, this passage was for us tonight, this passage was for you tonight, um, when we think about our hearts, you might have put yourself in a category, you know, you're, you feel like you're the self-righteous or you feel like you're the guilty or you feel like you're the person that um, that doesn't, maybe you don't even know. Maybe this is, maybe this is all very new to you. <laughs> maybe you're like, who's Jesus? <laughs> and, um, and I, and I, I want to tell you, actually, um, when Jesus comes into your heart and your life, he changes everything. And um, it's a really, really big deal because when we think about Samantha, the woman that she was before, she was a woman that had had many husbands. She had been seeking lots of things. When you think about that, she she might have married those men for money, which I don't think that fulfilled her. She might have married those men for love or lust. I don't think that fulfilled her either. Um, basically, what I want to ask us tonight is, what are we filling ourselves with? And um, is that what we want to continue doing? Um if you know, if you know the rest of this story, it's really, really cool. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay. Her heart got so excited. She was like, to what I've been looking for. And if we jump down, I'm in John 4, verse 28. It says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? For those of us who already know who Jesus is, it's okay, you can hear this again. Um, the woman who wrote this book, How to Be Your Own Selfish Pig, her name is Susan. Her parents are um, Francis and Edith Schaefer. They love the Lord very much. And they were great and wonderful parents to her. And she tells this story in here. And it says, someone else is spanking. She says, I like to illustrate Jesus' great sacrifice with this story from my own childhood. When I was four years old, my parents had a lovely antique table on which the telephone rested. 
One day, I threw a temper tantrum. Well, this was before cell phones. One day, I threw a temper tantrum so violent that I tried to think of a desperate act to express my irritation. I took a wicked and forbidden object, a kitchen knife, and with fierce determination, hit this small table repeatedly, leaving deep gashes in the antique wood. The inevitable result descended at supper time. I guess my poor mom had been too rushed to see the table, but dad soon noticed. Who did this? He boomed. No use cowering. My guilt was established. Suddenly, there was an unexpected turn of events. Eight-year-old Priscilla felt compassion for her now submissive small sister. Dad, Priscilla said, I want to take Susan spanking this time. The whole family was thunderstruck by the offer. I was provided with a lifelong lesson when, after some anxious consultation, my parents reluctantly concluded that it was a fair offer. I'll never forget the spanking my sister took for me. The knife gashes had been paid for by somebody else's love for me. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what he wants to do for you tonight. Some of us in this room, some of us have already invited Jesus into our heart, and other of us have not. Other of us have been, have been listening tonight, thinking, I hope this is real. Is this real? Could this be the Christ? He is. He's here in this room. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to invite him. Invite him into your life. And what this is, what this response is, is it's inviting Jesus to speak more to you. He's already speaking to you. For you to get to know him. For you to tell him that you're not perfect. You can't run your life anymore. You don't want to. You can't live by your good works. You can't live off of your parents or someone else's Christianity. You can't live by the things that like Sam, you try to fill your heart and your mind with. You can't ignore that deep aching in your heart anymore. And so, I'm sorry. Um, so anyways, so in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to give you much time um, because it doesn't need much time. But anyways, so if you would like, if you'd like to accept Jesus, please stand right now. Repeat after me, Jesus, please come into my life. Please come into my life. I can't run my life anymore. I have sinned, and I need a Savior. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me and for being raised again. I love you. Amen. Thank you for those of you who stood. The Lord, he's here right now. <laughs> you can clap, Beto. <laughs> 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 
this place, this place up here, we'll call it an altar. It can be a place that can be holy if you want it. And it's a place where what you do is you come up here, you can be on your knees, you can be standing, you can have your hand raised, you can have your hands together, you can have your hands at your side. It does not matter, remember? It's where your heart is and who you're worshiping and why you're worshiping him, right? So you're going to come up here if you would like. I'll move all out of the way. And it's a place that can be holy, and it's a place where you offer up parts of your heart that Jesus is asking for. And an example of that for me is my pride. <laughs> the Lord the Lord wants my pride. I've given it to him time and time and again, and I probably will continue to give it to him again. So when you come up here, what it is, we can flood this whole place. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we're going to worship. Katie Sears is amazing and beautiful and um, as she sings, feel free to sing, to not sing, to pray, to praise, do whatever you want. Um, but I'm going to pray for a response, okay? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the, the beautiful children that you just accepted and welcomed into your life. They are no longer orphans. They are your children now. They have value. They have purpose, more purpose than they could ever dream of. Jesus, I pray for each of us as we respond to what you have put on our, our heart and in our minds of what to say. Holy Spirit, please, please be the loudest voice in our minds right now. Help us to be obedient. Help us to trust you and love you with not only this moment, but every single moment to come. For those of you who accepted, invited Jesus into your life, I I. I encourage you to keep seeking truth, keep seeking him. For the for every single person here, this altar is open. And really love you guys. <laughs>